Misfit Toys. Welcome to episode 669 with my guest, M. Schultz. This is Paul Gilmartin, and uh, you're listening to the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the all the bullshit rattling around our heads. Uh, I'm not a therapist, and this show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. Probably pretty obvious, but I'd like to uh, put that out there. We are at seven and 797 Patreon donors. We are a little over halfway towards our goal of 1,500, uh, which is what we need for this podcast to break even. Uh, things are financially dire. Not going to lie, and I I hate having to make this uh, plea every week, but that, them's the reality. Uh, I made the decision about three months ago to walk away from my relationship with BetterHelp. Uh, it was over half my income, but I did it for ethical reasons, and I feel confident in that decision and uh, hope that we can find a way to make up that uh, that loss of income, I want to, one of the things that I, I want to do to, although I guess this probably wouldn't raise much money, but it might be a fun thing to put out there is a while back, and I might have even read some of these on the podcast, um, I, I thought, I want to do a line of greeting cards that that I don't know if the word real is right, but whenever I browse the greeting card aisle, especially at the drugstore, they're so fucking lame. They're so innocuous. And I understand that. They're corporations. They don't want to put something too edgy there. But um, I just had some ideas for greeting cards uh, for like like something to to just give your partner either on Valentine's Day or just for the, the hell of it. And uh, here's a couple of the ones that I want to do and I'm going to try to teach myself how to uh how to make a greeting card. I might have to uh, reach out for uh, any graphic designers that want to work pro bono and help me design them, but I'm going to see if I can do it myself. Uh so here's a couple of the ones that I want to do. When you splurged for plan B, I knew you were the one. You make my heart soft and my dick hard. Our makeup sex makes me want to be a bigger asshole. I think about your cock in church. There's nobody's jizz I'd rather waddle to the bathroom with. This one might be a little too dark. If I die first, you have my permission to fuck me one last time. I like how I'm cracking up at my own uh, my own greeting cards. There's more. Maybe I'll read uh, some more of those uh, on another another episode. Um, this thought occurred to me, you know, I talk being in a support group, um, that deals with intimacy issues. And one of the things that gets discussed a lot is transparency between partners, honesty. Um, and one of the things that I thought is really a, a pretty good barometer of the healthiness of your relationship with with your partner is how comfortable would you be if they were left alone with your unlocked phone? And I personally would be completely comfortable with that. And that feels good. That feels good. And I cannot say that uh, earlier in my life, you know, years ago, that that would have been the case. But I don't know, just something to consider. 
And is, have I mentioned that one on the podcast before? Welcome to my golden years, everybody. Hi, I'm Paul. I don't know if I... I don't know. Do I even talk about this? I'll talk about it in a general way. It's, it is hard to watch any of the news without feeling outrage and depression. And it occurred to me that I wonder if subconsciously that's why you see the people that like dress up like it's the 1800s. Is that maybe that's like a subconscious way of saying, I don't want to live in this modern world. It is too complicated. I have no sense of control. So I'm going to dress like Oscar Wilde and ride a single speed bike. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey, and this is uh, filled out by Annie. And she uh, writes, I'm curious, how do you sell us, your listeners, to potential advertisers? Do you capitalize on the fact that we are fucked up, emotional, and extremely susceptible to buying random things to numb the pain? Because if you don't, you totally should. I'm glad that you uh, that you asked that, actually. Um, oh, she writes, uh... FYI, the ad buy and sponsorship links, sponsorship link seems to be broken. It directs to a page that's not found. Well, let me work on uh, on fixing that. Uh, if you are interested in advertising on the podcast, uh, gumball.fm is the uh, ad agency that books the, the ads. They book the ads that I personally read. There's another agency um, that, airs the ads that somebody else reads. And you used to just hear those before and after the podcast, but uh, financial situations uh, have kind of dictated that I now need to include those as jarring as they are uh, within the podcast itself. Um, that was a tough decision to make because I really like the kind of vibe that, that we have in the podcast where it's, I don't know, there's nothing kind of jolting other than the darkness and the despair. But as far as uh, how, how do we uh, sell the podcast, it's usually anything that, that can kind of better people's lives or bring them pleasure. Um, there's a lot of categories that I don't accept. Um, I don't accept financial institutions. Um, I mean, the only one that I will do is something that like helps you do a search for four things. But as far as like big banks, no, I don't do those. I don't do alcohol, tobacco, um, uh, meat companies. Uh, there's a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of other, other ones that I can't think of right now. But, um, yeah, there is a survey or at least there used to be where people could, um, help advertisers know what the demo of the podcast is. And, it's generally about two-thirds female, um, mostly in their 20s and 30s, um, college-educated. This is from the uh, Struggle in a Sentence survey, and this is filled out by our friend Wildflower. She's, she's been on a tear filling out surveys lately, and, uh, and I like what she's, she's writing. Um, she describes her anorexia. If I drink enough water, I won't feel hungry. About her codependency. If I go to bed before my mother... Instead of watching Netflix with her, I am the worst person in the world. About experiencing uh, racial or cultural bias. When people are surprised that I speak, quote, good English, unquote, I have a degree and came to this country when I was two. 
and about having dyscalculia. Uh, I checked the numbers on the bus four times and still got the numbers mixed up and stood there for hours waiting for a bus that didn't exist. That has got to be challenging as fuck. And especially because it's a term that a lot of people haven't heard of. And I imagine some people are like, oh, well, that's a made-up thing to explain, blah, blah, blah. This is from the love survey filled out by Pippi Longstocking. Oh, I hope you're well. I read your book uh, when I was a kid. Glad you're still alive. And uh, Pippi's love, the crisp, clean sound of Paul shuffling the heavy paper he reads on this podcast. It's so soothing. Oh, so glad. So glad that you like that. I mean, you knew I was going to do that, right? Was there any doubt I was going to go for that ball sitting on the tee? This is from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by, I'm not sure what this name means, but I like it, Earl Grey Slumped. I know what Earl Grey is. It's the worst fucking black tea in the world. Black tea on its own? Awesome. Even black tea with a little smoky flavor? Awesome. But bergamot? I don't want to smell bergamot as a perfume, let alone going down my pipe. Sorry about that. So this is from the Voice in Your Head survey, and she writes, My voice says, you can't do enough. Nothing you can do will be enough. You can clean and clean your house, and it will never be clean enough. You will never do enough to be a good mother. You'll always be able to see what changes you. You'll always be able to see what changes could change your life and you will never act. You are weak, pathetic, lacking in a moral, lacking in a moral facets. I think there's a typo there. You are a slut, a pervert, lazy, a stoner. You are garbage, worse than the shit stuck to a shoe. Wow. And yet I think a lot of us relate especially the 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 lazy one and not acting on the things that we could do i wonder if sometimes well i don't wonder i i do know that sometimes if we look at the things that we have done no matter how small they are it can help combat that voice at least for 2 seconds and then it's back to the abyss but god bless you and good, good luck <laughs> No, but thank you for filling the filling those out. And I'm sorry that you're talking to yourself that way. That that really fucking that blows. That blows. Thank you for filling that out. This is from the race racism survey filled out by T. And T uh T's in her thirties and uh what's your race slash ethnicity? Um Indian. Share any experiences that you've had with racism. Uh, she writes, this is current, but I do pin up and have had friends tell me that I can dress like those girls all I want, but I will never have the look because there are no black pinups. When I won one of the prizes in a competition, another friend told me they only awarded me a prize because I am a minority. I even had my family tell me it was a waste of time entering as I would never win. Wow, I think it might be time for a new friend. Because holy fuck, is that a shitty thing to say? Do you remember how you felt when it happened? I felt horrible, like no matter what I did, I would always be seen 
as an other. How do you feel about it now? I still enter them, but still feel like I don't fit in. Uh, any thoughts or feelings you'd like to share? I wish I could be seen for who I am and not the color of my skin. That, uh, fuck. You know, there is a thread on the forum, and I always forget to, to mention to people that they can find a, a sense of community uh, on, the, on the forum, and there's a ton of different threads. And one of the things, um, one of the threads there is uh, share your creativity. And that might be an empower thing, empowering thing if you're listening to share some of your pictures there, if you're comfortable. I don't, I imagine pinup is like bathing suits and stuff like that. So it's, it wouldn't be anything that's uh, um, involving nudity. Although not that nudity would be bad. I'm going down a shame spiral right now. <laughs> I'm so afraid that I'm, that I'm going to come across as creepy encouraging you to post these. But I actually um, kind of leave the forum alone. There's a, a listener named uh, Manny Mo who runs the forum. Um, and speaking of a uh, place for support, uh, just a reminder that those of you who donate at the $20 and above level uh, on Patreon, uh, you one of the tier rewards is being able to be a part of our Sunday afternoon support group slash hangout on Zoom. It's usually for an hour and a half. There's about 20 of us, and it's really supportive. And uh, it's just a really safe place to share or just hang in the kind of background and observe until you feel comfortable sharing. So um, I've been really, really enjoying uh, being a part of that. This is from the love survey filled out by Lost Life While Living. And they write, I love the smell and feeling after a good day of rain the day before. I love petting my dogs and watching their eyelids get heavier and heavier as they fight sleep. I love the twinkle my son gets in his eye as he tells me the latest scientific fact he's learned. I love when I'm doing a DIY project and my eight-year-old sees me and asks if he can help. And without fail, there's paint everywhere and I have more work and cleanup to do than I did when he first arrived. I spend the next few hours trying to figure out how to keep as much of his work and add some of mine. Not what we had planned, but maybe something better because it's both of us. Damn, do I love that. Let's take a quick break, see if we have any ads. This episode is sponsored by Blissey. Sleep better this summer with Blissey's award-winning 100% Mulberry Silk Pillowcases. Blissey Silk Pillowcases are temperature-regulating. It stays cool so you don't wake up sweating around your neck or flipping the pillow to find the cooler side. And our machine washable, durable, and even have a zipper to hold your pillow in place. That's one of the things that I really like about, about my Blissey. I like them. They're soft. Uh, they're good quality, and uh, it's nice not waking up in the middle of the night with uh, your face sticking to the pillowcase. 
Blissey Silk Pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market. They have a ton of different prints and colors, and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Men love them, too. They have over 1.5 million raving fans, and you could be next. Try now, risk-free, for 60 nights at blissey.com slash mental and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash mental and use the code mental to get an additional 30% off. Sleep cooler this summer with Blissey. And then finally, this is an awful moment filled out by uh, Depression Den. And she writes, uh, I've always been overweight and have struggled with low self-esteem because of it. That is why I never went to sports day as teenagers, as teenagers, as I didn't, I think that's a typo, as I didn't want to be the fat kid everyone made fun of. Well, it was my last year of school. And for some reason, I felt that I should go and participate for the last time ever. It actually turned out to be a fun day. And I started to feel as though people weren't looking at me and judging me for my size. I even felt comfortable enough to participate in a 400-meter race. I knew I wasn't going to be fast or win, but I thought, why not? I'll get some points for my house color. I finished the race and was feeling happy with myself for participating when the PE teacher came up to me. He looked me right in the eyes and said, you are an inspiration. If you could run in the race... Anyone could. My consciousness might be disintegrating. Heavy weighted blanket on my brain. Symptomatically. And I can't think straight. Things present themselves for a reason. And I can't see straight. I couldn't even drive. The first movie that I remember watching with him. Post-traumatic stress. When I was like five years old was Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and moral injury. I would act out the scenes. Gonna go to hell. With or... my Barbies. <laughs> The greatest source of our suffering. Ordinary is where all the good stuff happens. Is our willingness to experience and accept our emotions. It is very hard to heal in dark isolation. I developed compassion. It is in connection and community where that happens. The process was nearly unbearable. Like, I'm going to have to kill myself. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> I am here with M. Schultz. Uh, you're an author. You're a podcaster. You're the creator and co-host of And That's Why We Drink. I am. Yeah, I am. which is a super popular podcast. You and your friend, uh, Christine, am I pronouncing her name yes, correctly? Yes, Christine. Uh, you guys started in 2017, and you've gotten 22,000 reviews on Apple. Do we? With a 4.8 rating. Oh, my gosh. Well, look yeah, at us. Yeah, you guys tour. Uh you tour theaters. You've got a huge following. Kudos on all your success. Thank That's you. So awesome. And you guys have a really nice vibe uh, on your on your podcast. Um, your podcast is half paranormal, which is kind of your gig. That's my gig. Yeah. And Christine's is true crime. Yeah. And it's a really nice blend of the two. Yeah. It was. It, it's we hit the sweet spot because it was right before true crime podcasting really took off i think there were only a handful before us and uh no no one was combining it with paranormal yet so we wanted to get all of our bases covered with all the spookiness so uh we got ghosts aliens cryptids so like bigfoot and all that and uh and then if you are only interested in the true crime content you got the second half of our podcast i i love true crime 
I I'm learning to love it. It's still over 300 episodes later, and it was never my cup of tea, which is so wild to people because I'm a true crime host who doesn't even like listen to true crime content. But the whole premise of our show was I know nothing about it. And so my co-host would teach me while I taught her about the paranormal. So, Which I think is great. It's I great. Mean, I'm yeah. learning with everybody. But people yeah. expect me to be some sort of expert. And I, I feel really bad always having to break their hearts. So, so a couple of things to uh, talk about. You deal with anxiety? <laughs> I sure do. I have it right now. Uh well, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what, what's going on in your brain and your body right now? You know, I I have a, well, I've had a lot of anxiety my whole life. I don't think I was able to label it until in the last few years. Um, and it's evolved in the last few years. So I used to just have general stage fright, which I think is probably what I'm experiencing now, just because I am on and don't want to mess up. And even if it's editable, I'm still afraid of, you know, giving a bad show but i my anxiety every day kind of changes so sometimes i'm it's gone from no anxiety at all to being terrified of leaving the house so it's a very fun game of roulette that i experience every day (laughs) today we're at like a two out of ten so we're we're having a good good. day are there specific fears around giving a bad show like what would that if we pulled the thread well, then that's going to happen, and then that's going to happen, or is it just vague? I think you're getting the exclusive because I was just talking to my therapist yesterday about this. Um, so I, I'm i an only child. I was raised with two very loud personalities. Um, both my parents were very, I don't know, I don't want to give them a, a bad rep, but they're, they're, uh, they're, they're big personalities, and I think I always felt the need to perform for them in some way or um you know my dad wasn't didn't always have the nicest temper and so i think i learned as a little kid that i can't mess up because i don't want to ruffle any feathers Mm. so i think it still translates over into my work today where if i have enough eyes on me i could ruffle someone's feathers by doing something wrong or if they're not pleased enough they're going to walk away disappointed and so i feel like it's more i think my anxiety comes from a some symbolic walking on eggshells. Um, And yeah, that's that's probably the gist of it. Do you become anxious if you're around a group of people, even if they're not friends, but somebody begins to get intense or raises their voice? Uh, I can see it coming from a mile away. I think that was one of the unfortunate gifts I was given of hypervigilance or hyper-awareness of reading the room. Um, so I usually exit the room before anyone else has picked up that there's going to be a problem. So nice. <laughs> I usually so just, you're a coward. Yeah, definitely. If you see me running, you I give you permission to follow me. So uh, I I definitely pick up on people's facial expressions and tone of voice and all that before um, before most people. Do you ever feel like you betray who you are to uh, assuage confrontation, mm. displeasure? Um, you know, any to to keep things from becoming uh, volatile. Do you ever feel like? Uh, oh, always. Yeah. You, no, you I'm, share some of those. I'm I'm very good at playing chameleon, and I don't like that about myself a lot of times because I feel like I deserve to stand up for myself, and I think I deserve to have some <laughs> like self respect, um, but. In from the scope of like 
um, you know, some sort of surviving mechanism or a, for, I don't know what the right word is, but some preservation coping mechanism. Um, I'm very quick to smile and nod and just kind of get through it. And I still have a lot of loud personalities I have to deal with in my family. And when I go home for the holidays, I'm usually more on high alert because I know there could be some sort of confrontation at any moment. And if it were to happen, it's just easier to kind of just ride the wave than fight Mm -hmm. it. Or if I can't escape, just kind of sit through it and look at the clock. Don't make eye contact. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty quick to change my mood or be a people pleaser to, you know, hopefully keep people from getting even more tense. And Do you have any snapshots that you can share with us where you abandoned yourself, your needs, mm. your self-advocacy, uh, and you look back and... I think as... So as a... As a younger kid, when I was living under a house with a lot of tense anger, it was really easy to just, you know, kind of keep things even keel and just, uh, instead of standing up for myself, just agree and apologize, even if I know I'm not wrong, just because I know that will, you know, dissolve some of the tension. As an adult, I was doing, I'm getting better at it. Um but there are still some family members I deal with that I just don't uh, – we don't agree on a lot of things. And for a long time, my attitude was to smile and nod just to get through, like, the family dinner and then I can go home and never see them again. But as I'm getting older, I feel more of a responsibility to stand up and speak my mind or advocate for people who aren't there. Um, and so that's where I've actually started to build some confidence now where if I think of it – from the perspective that it's not about me, I'm just speaking for people who aren't in the room. I've actually been getting a lot better at not caring what people think, which is very lovely. Do you, what, what would you say has helped you begin to do that? I think I was just starting to unpack, you know, uh, ever since 2016, the world has done quite a lot of change and, Uh, I wanted to make sure I was on the right side of history. And so I've been learning more about what privilege means and my place in the world and helping people who are, you know, less fortunate than I am or people who are in positions that don't get the advantages I have. And having a public platform, you mean, or being white, being white, being, uh, well, I was going to say being I was I was going to flirt with uh, talking about sexuality and gender, too, but not just seeing where I stand in privilege, but seeing where I don't stand in privilege. So being queer, um, being seen as female often, although now that I'm I for those who can't see my face currently, I am kind of socially transitioning into appearing more masculine, which has actually really opened my eyes to the privilege that men have being seen as male. And if I don't open my mouth and people hear my little high-pitched voice i get seen as a man a lot and doors have opened from that it's it's very interesting any, any specific examples just the you know it's i i could give like a few examples that maybe would be more hard-hitting but personally the most eye-opening to me was just general respect feeling safe on a street um 
people listening to my opinion. It's it's I don't think I realized how little my voice was being heard until I was seen as something else. And so it's it's very interesting that now if I'm in a a group and we're all talking about a problem, people all of a sudden care about my thought on how to solve it. And or just conversations at dinner I'm included more or it it's very really? interesting. Um anyway, but seeing how my privilege or my lack of privilege, just seeing where those play, I feel like I now have some sort of, I don't know, there's this new bravado in me where when I hear people challenging my place in the world, I feel the need to stand up for people who aren't in the room. So, Can you give me any any example? Is is it around gender? Is it around being queer? Oh, it's it's around anything. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement was a really big one in, in my family where I feel like I had to do a lot of educating. Um there as, as my, I think my comfort zone is more the queer circle, and I feel like a lot of people either don't understand what it means to be queer, or they right now in the world everyone is either pro or anti book banning, and they're hearing all all this rhetoric around queer people grooming children, and just I have felt like it's definitely my duty, at least in my family and amongst family friends, to set the record straight that I am not a groomer <laughs> like whatever you're hearing is not true um but so that's to hear people have wonderings about that or trying to challenge what it means to be queer um all the way down to people just making comments about people's looks because you don't know what someone's going through i've i've heard people talking about oh well our our neighbor you know she doesn't shave her armpits anymore and to to it's been really interesting to kind of have this new bravery where I can address people face to face and talk about, well, what does it even mean for there to be a beauty standard? Or like, what does someone not shaving their armpits mean for you who's never, never had to care about their armpits before? Like, it's just waking people up a little bit. Do they take it in? Sometimes. I've had about a 50-50 success. What's it feel like when you can see they're not taking it in or they push back? Oh, it's so frustrating. I... I feel like I'm failing in some way because I feel like this might be the only time they hear someone challenge their thoughts and I want to do right by people. And it's very frustrating because there are times where I just have to walk away and think, well, they're just not going to get it. And I have to be okay with that. But when there are people who are in your own personal circles, it really makes you question if they can stay in your life. I've had to drop a few friends, not for like an armpit shaving or not being shaved, right. but just, you know, bigger issues and conversations we've had in the last few years. There are people that were childhood best friends where I ended up having to just drop them because I learned that their beliefs were too different than mine. And I had to decide between keeping an old friend and having respect for myself. And um, that's been hard. I think that's a, a big change that a lot of people in my communities have had to deal with recently. Why do you think, in, uh, for just the human being in general, why self-compassion is so difficult? I don't know. I don't know if it's because we're in a society where being an individual is so important, and there's this emphasis on, you know, you know, this is a a more selfish community compared to places where people are important, and having you know a village or to have to have a community. The literal community is important. I think there's, you know, just this emphasis on being about yourself and getting what you need and 
climbing to the top. And I think there's just a lack of empathy that a lot of other cultures don't have. Yeah, I think anonymity evolutionarily was threw a real wrench in accountability <laughs> once we got beyond the village. Yeah, I think it's wild because I would think of us as like pack animals or social animals right. and they're social creatures. And it, it's shocking how few people care about other people. But I, I don't think that's like an I don't think they're inherently flawed people. I think they have just followed a system for so long that to go against it at all or to challenge their way of thinking means having to challenge their whole existence. I think maybe it's just too hard of a pill for some people to swallow. Um, Maybe some people are just creatures of habit and they're like, well, it's worked so far for me and I don't really want to rock the boat. Um, I think that's my biggest issue is that a lot of people are still okay with being neutral to crisis. So. It can be overwhelming to to think about everything that needs changing and what our responsibility is, uh, especially if we're depressed or we're anxious or yeah. people are a mixed bag for us to interact with. And maybe I'm just making excuses for us, but um, it can be really depressing having knowledge of how much pain there is in the world. Yeah, and I, I think... It's so weird because the more I care, the more anxiety I get because all of a sudden I, I'm just overloaded all the time with how many problems there are out there. And I have to remind myself that I'm not a superhero. I'm like, I have to pick and choose which battles matter the most to me. I can't prioritize everything as number one. I think I personally just get really upset that not everyone has at least one thing that matters. Um, and, like, there are some people where I'll be like, oh, well, what's your, if you had a cause, what, what's your cause? And I feel like a lot of people are just fine not touching anything. Mm-hmm. And I I don't want to, you know, say that I, I get it all the way, but I do know that a lot of people have always said, well, we never really had to care before, or politics, caring about politics was an option up until recently. And so I think a lot of people just were used to not having to care. There were other people to care. They didn't have to do it. And... I think that's the ultimate shift that even my own family has struggled with that I feel like I'm constantly trying to educate them on is, you know, too much is at risk now to not care. Too many people are getting hurt. A lot of people are dying. Climate control. I mean, there's so many things like kids are getting shot in school. How can you not care about something enough to learn about it? And I think that's what a lot of the younger generations are frustrated by is that we we know what the power of numbers can do, mm-hmm. and half the people just don't want to do it. It it is encouraging to see the mobilizing of mm-hmm. uh, younger younger generations. Uh, I can't imagine how terrifying it must be to be a teenager who's awake mm-hmm. these days. Yeah, I know. There's like I I don't know what camp I totally fall into, but I keep hearing more and more people just saying like I don't even want to have a kid. Or I don't want to have children. I can't even think about having a family. I can't even afford rent on my own at 30 years old. Um, And I I feel like a lot of people who are awake to what's going on are just like, with climate these days, like, who knows if we're even going to have a world in 50 years, 100 years? Why bring a kid into this? So I feel like a lot of people are putting more emphasis uh, into programs they care about or causes they care about versus a family, which... Is also different than what people are used to. I feel like we all were told that we have to have some nuclear family and, uh, you know, a very white picket fence kind of mm-hmm. storyline. And a lot of people are 
just totally abandoning that and being like, no, actually, while I'm here, I've got to, you know, fight for something. And that's all I'm going to care about. And I would encourage anybody who's feeling overwhelmed by all the problems in the world and saying, where, where do I even begin? Um, I, I just put this thought out there that there can be an empowering um, byproduct from just moving your feet and just doing little baby steps to try to make the world a better place um, because you will realize that it isn't about you seeing a result from what you're doing, but just your conscience, mm. knowing that you are, however tiny, a part of the solution. When I when I went solar, um, when I moved in here, I was able to to um, say, well, I'm doing my part. Yeah. With with climate change, I have a, a, a hybrid car, and I'm privileged to be able to have made those choices. I, exactly. I, for a second, I don't forget that there are people who cannot afford a new car, who cannot afford solar. But it it brought me... Um, I didn't look to climate change and go, well, now I'm solar. Right. The numbers should be going down. <laughs> right. Otherwise, what's the point? But just knowing I'm... I'm uh, less of a problem now than I used to be. Yeah, every drop in the bucket counts. And it's and that's a great reminder for people because when I first started really giving a shit about the world around me and the people around me, I I really did feel this like need to fix everything and I needed to remind myself that just learning about it, maybe that's all you do right now or donating until further notice. Maybe that's all you do or you know, it's one baby step is much better than no steps. So um, not to say going solar is a baby step. That's massive. That's awesome. I, uh, But just like how you said, not everyone has the privilege to do that. I think one of the things I get frustrated about is that people who do have the privilege, I think, until further notice, like if you can help carry the weight of those who can't do it, you should try to help. Let's talk about gender. Um, Let's. When did you, what are your earliest memories of feeling that you, um, although female-bodied, mm -hmm. uh, did not identify fully? Forever. I think, so my, I'll, I'll give you the spiel. I I never even knew at the time, I grew up in the 90s in uh, Virginia, which was, it's a more conservative area than Los Angeles. And I grew up not even having the vocabulary for the word gay. Um, I knew that I liked girls exclusively. Um, and I knew that was different than everybody else. I don't know if I knew it was bad, but I knew it was different. And I knew it was different enough that maybe it's a secret. Um, I ended up finding out that was around three or four. I actually have like a really distinct memory of like wanting to kiss like my kindergarten crush and knowing that that was a little weird <laughs> and um eventually from friends the show friends when since ross uh was once married to a lesbian i remember asking my mom like what's a lesbian and that's the first time i ever heard that oh sometimes women like women and men like men did and your mom assign any morality to it or was she matter of fact? she was pretty neutral about it. Yeah. it she didn't make it seem like it was a bad thing it was just a thing that exists um, and it never really got mentioned again, but that was because it was not very topical in our family. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, so I must be gay. 
because I like girls, but I, I'm, and this was before I ever had vocabulary for gender. I remember thinking that must be why I want to be a boy because girls get to kiss boys without it being weird. So I must just be really gay because I want to be a boy. And that was how I justified it for a long time is that I'm just super duper gay. <laughs> it's like just so out the wazoo gay. Um, because not only do I want to kiss girls, but I want to be a boy. So that way there's more chance of them liking me back. Um, what I didn't realize at the time was that I was struggling with gender because I, even as a little kid, I remember seeing myself as a boy. I remember hiding, uh, getting found out and hiding these lists of boy names that I considered naming myself. Um, and then when my mom would find them, I'd be like, oh, no, they're just future baby names for my kids. Or I would justify because I knew that was off. Um, I always wanted the boy toys. I always wanted the boy clothes. I hated going clothes shopping because I knew there'd be dresses and makeup involved. All the, you know, the stereotypical what is girlish and what is boyish. I always lean towards the masculine stuff. Uh, just hold that thought for a second. What would it feel like when you would wear a dress or makeup? It was equivalent to being like naked in public it felt really really unnatural it felt really like all eyes were on me even if no one was looking it just felt so uncomfortable and it was all i could think about and all i wanted to do was get out of this weird you know perception that this was how i was supposed to look or people would always i always wore a ponytail for the longest time um and I think it was because anytime my hair was down, people always wanted to compliment how long and beautiful and feminine my hair was. And I just hated it. It just always felt so uncomfortable. The only way I've been able to really describe it to people is that if you have some whatever thing you're the most insecure about, if it's just on your face and ever it's the one thing everyone's always complimenting or talking about and you just want everyone to ignore it um, or to not know it exists at all. But it's the first thing people talk about. And so that was how I felt for a long time. I remember even as like a kid, all my cousins were boys and they would run around, you know, without their shirts on. Um, so I would always run around as a little kid without my shirt on. And I remember the first time I felt othered or different than them was when my aunt had to pull me into another room and check to make sure that puberty hadn't hit and I still looked the same as them and it wouldn't raise any questions. So that was the first time I was like, oh, they don't have to get checked. How come I have to get checked? Um and that was the first time I felt like, oh, maybe I'm not one of them like I thought I was. So I think I just I always leaned towards masculine. I was always seen as a tomboy. I felt the best in, you know, masculine stuff. But I also just thought, oh, which and at the same time, I wanted to kiss girls. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I'm just so gay. I'm just so, so, so gay. Um, then at the time, you you know, nowadays, a lot of not all, but a lot of queer teenagers are able to openly be with people that they're interested in. I never got that um, until college. Um, and I it never occurred to me that there was a discussion about gender I needed to pay attention to. I just always thought it was about sexuality, sexuality being who you're attracted to, gender being how you identify. Um, and I never knew that there was a difference between the two until I started dating my first girlfriend and all of a sudden we were physical and she wanted to touch my body and that was the big thing i always hated people recognizing and 
that was the first time I, I had a problem with my physical body because it was being recognized by someone and sexualized. It was like the thing they were trying to compliment and make me feel good about. And it was the thing I wanted nobody to recognize, nobody to touch. I did not want it acknowledged. And I just thought, oh, I'm, I don't have an explanation for that. I just, I'm just going to be the person who does things to my girlfriend and nobody touch me. Um, that must have been hard for both of you. It it was weird because at the time there was no vocabulary. I think in today's world it would have been a lot easier of a conversation. Um, but at the time it definitely came across as, oh, I'm not attracted to you or I don't want you to do things to me. And I mean, without the the right words for it, it definitely had to mess with our head. Um, and so I do feel bad about that. But in hindsight, there was no way of being able to express what was going on. Um, and... While in college, I ended up meeting a trans person for the very first time, and I was able to see, like, oh, you can swap into a more masculine role, even physically. You can, you know, make things look the way you want. Um, and that the idea of that was really intriguing to me of, like, oh, I don't like my body being touched this way, but if I were to transition and have a more masculine body, I could totally be into wanting to be with a girl in that way. Um, and so I, once I learned what trans was, I really did a deep dive into gender and, you know, where I stood on that. And for a long time, I thought, okay, I must be a transgender man where I'm, I need to fully transition. I need to get all the surgeries. I need to dress masculine, change my name. I want my voice to drop and have facial hair and, you know, insert every single stereotype or trope there. Um, and as I really leaned into that world where I asked people to use he, him pronouns and see me as fully male, I actually realized I didn't like that either. And I was like, well, now what the fuck do I do? <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And so I, I realized this was now, this is like six or seven years now uh, since then. But I think I was overcorrecting because at the time it was like I only knew the, the words for, for gay or straight. And then, you know, bi came in and I knew I wasn't that. Then later I hear the word trans and I was like, oh, since I'm not, since I'm this gay and I really, I really see myself as more masculine, I must be trans because there's either trans or not trans, which is cisgender. Um, and so I was really working with this binary of either you're gay or you're straight or you're trans or you're not. And as I've lived this life for so many years, I am now realizing that I'm actually, it's not just straight or gay and it's not just trans or cisgender there's a lot of gray wiggle room and i was not even considering that at the time so um what i've learned over the years is that i fall more into like the non-binary category which is just truly the gray space between the spectrum and i always saw myself and always felt much more masculine than all the girls around me but that doesn't mean that i was all the way to the other side fully a man and it took a long time to figure out where on that spectrum I fell but I knew I didn't feel right in dresses and being seen as a you know dainty feminine woman but I also after trying for a few years to be seen as a man that felt just as uncomfortable so I was like you know what fuck both of those things I'm just gonna be wherever I am and it's somewhere in the middle and you know that that's that what did you feel when you made that decision great I feel it's it just feels right I, it's really given me the freedom to question and challenge a lot of things going on in the world, like, you know, the beauty standard or 
you know, what it means to be masculine or feminine or um, the concept of pronouns, which seems to blow people's minds. And uh, I mean, just it's just every single element of gender has been fun to explore because I finally feel right in my body, which, again, shout out to the bigots. I don't understand how that's a problem. I feel like everyone deserves the right to feel right in their body if it's not harming anybody. And the second I was able to say like, okay, I'm not fully female or feminine. I I don't feel like a woman. I don't feel like a man. I know that I like to wear these types of clothes and be seen this type of way. It just all made sense. I was just like, oh, well, that's perfect. And even when it comes to, you know, physical stuff in the bedroom, all that was needed was just a partner that could communicate well. All, All it took was just discussion of what are what's good to do, what's not good to do. What do you like? What do you like? It was just... What a great opportunity for intimacy building. Oh, yeah. I mean, every every inch of learning about sexuality and gender has been an opportunity to communicate. And it's been really lovely, especially to be with a partner who's also in the queer community. You know, it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel as taboo. I think my, my first few... Um, girlfriends, everyone was just kind of coming out of the closet for the first time. So none of us even knew what queer culture was. None of us knew what we were comfortable with. Everyone was a little scared. And so now I think being so many relationships down the road and knowing my place and knowing what feels right, there's no questions about anything else. We can just focus on each other and figure out what's good. So have you, I would imagine the platform that, that you have, um, there w- would be people younger than you seeking your counsel. Um, talk about that. There are, I'm very lucky. My, my audience is significantly queer. Um, and a lot of people also have a lot of anxiety that listen to us. So between those two things, I feel seen a lot by my audience. And I wonder if that makes them feel like we're closer and maybe like, friends in some way i I was just going to say that because as i was listening to an episode of your podcast the relationship that you and christine have is uh two friends and it's i would imagine a regular listener feels like they are hanging out with two friends who happen to be the two most interesting friends in their group of of friends and just <laughs> thank you love hearing them because there there's a, a a softness there without it being saccharine thank you well I, I i we've heard that not so eloquently but we have heard that a lot of people consider us friends they've just never met yet and um that's that's a, a tricky line to to walk because there are some people who could abuse that or think overthink that and think we actually are friends we've we luckily haven't dealt with that too much, but we're aware of the parasocial relationship where people might actually think we know them. And so luckily we haven't had to deal with that too much. But as for the people who are aware that we're just people they listen to that had, if we met, you know, in another world in person, we might actually get along very well. I'm really grateful to them for voicing that. And we've been very lucky at um, at meet and greets. We When we're on tour, we've done a lot of meet and greets. At every single one of them, there's one queer person who says that they felt safe because of us. And I don't know if that means safe to come out or safer around their friends or safer to explore themselves. But um, just to know that someone felt seen and not uncomfortable in their body because of us is lovely. There's also been 
probably the most moving moments for me at meet and greets have been a few parents who have approached me and said, because of you, I understand my kid. Wow. And that that's the best. Wow. Yeah. So, and I, I understand, like, I, I don't think it's totally wrong for people who have never had to question their sexuality or their gender because society was kind of written for them to, to benefit based on who they are. I totally get that it's confusing for them because if you've never had to question that, it, it's it's a, a mindset you'll never get. But it does feel really good to know that I've at least kind of helped open the door for understanding for a lot of parents. Um, and some people in general didn't even really know they were queer until they started listening to us and started challenging their own standards of society and, and saw something in themselves. And so I think it, it's very beautiful. If, if one thing comes out of the podcast, it's I, I'm happy if that's it. So how has identifying as non-binary share with us what that has looked like coming out to your family mm. those discussions uh the use of pronouns yeah all all of that so i that's a tricky story because when i came out as gay it was easy breezy no one cared I was, like, upset that there wasn't a bigger deal about really? it. Really? Why, why like, do you think that was? I was like, I want the kerfuffle. Like, I've, I've before I ever came out, I saw all these, you know, TV shows of, like, the teens struggling to come out to their parents, and it's a big deal. And I feel like I got this, like, anticlimactic. Pass the potatoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great. Which, like, I guess I wasn't really, like, hiding how gay I was um, to people because they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, we know. Let's keep on with our day. Um, which I'm grateful that I'm. there are so many people out there who get a real kerfuffle and like, you know, don't get to live at home anymore. So I'm not trying to, you know, make light of that. But I was expecting something like at least an applause. I don't know. (laughs) But um, when I first came out as gay, I think that was also because the word gay or homosexual was in the zeitgeist. And people had heard that word enough that I think everyone had thought for a second, what if I have a kid who's gay? And I think mm-hmm. it was just a little more normalized that it was easier to swallow. Oh, so what year would this have been, roughly? I, I came out in 2009 to 2010. Um, it was right at the end of high school. I, I intentionally did it right before I went to college because I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, I'm going to leave anyway. <laughs> so um, I told everybody right before I left uh, for college and everyone was fine with it. Too many people said they already knew, which like kind of hit my ego because I thought I was stealthier than that. And uh, so I really thought, okay, so when I come out as trans one day, when I didn't actually think this way, but eventually when I realized that I needed to have another coming out with people, I thought, well, they were all so cool with me being gay. They'll have no problem with me being trans. Um, and I was bamboozled. People had a, a bit of a struggle with it. Um, my, most of my friends were perfectly fine with it. Again, I think that's because of the generation we were in where all of us were constantly kind of hearing the word trans and it was becoming normalized in our vocabulary. I think for older people, they didn't grow up hearing that as often as they heard gay. So it was much newer and thus scarier for them to process. Um, and so many of them think it's a fad. That, mm-hmm. that people are doing for attention. Oh, yeah. They just thought it, maybe I was a trendsetter. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but my my dad, when I told him, he he was weirdly fine with it. Um, and I say weirdly because he's got some 
very different views on things than I do. And so I was expecting there to be a bit of an issue, but it was very much past the potatoes. And when I told my mom, that was the hardest one, because when I came out as gay, she was a fierce ally. And within 24 hours, it was the most normal thing to her. It was like me telling her I have brown hair. She was like, okay, what else is new? When I came out as trans, that really freaked her out. And I, I it definitely dented our relationship for a long time. Did she try to talk you out of it? I don't know if she tried to. T- I think she knew well enough that I, it could not be changed. I think she just didn't want that situation. I think she didn't... She didn't like it. If she could change it about me to this day, I think she would. Um, and do you think that is for her comfort or for her being concerned about you walking through a world that think, is dangerous? I think me being, I think the second option is her scapegoat for the first option. I think if I were to call her out, she would say, I'm just so nervous about your safety. Um, which not that. I'm in a perfectly 100% safe bubble right now, but I'm in Los Angeles. I'm okay currently. Like, I'm, there's nothing to really be too worried about. Knowing her well enough, I know that she easily gets overwhelmed at things she doesn't understand. And I think because she knew she would never get it, it was just something she didn't want to bother with. And so now it's a burden in some way. Um, and her acting that way when I expected her to be totally fine because she was last time, that really rocked me. I really thought, oh, this is going to be so much better than what I'm expecting it to be. I'm going to think, why was I even worried? There was no kerfuffle last time. There won't be this time. And then there was a kerfuffle. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I, man, I really hated that. Um, and to this day, pronouns are incredibly hard for her. Um, she... I think she's done her own version of some light research into it, but nothing compared to what I know she's capable of. So I think that's the damage these days where I'm like, you know, I know if you really, really wanted to get it, you could because she's been able to get anything else she's ever put her mind to. So I think it's just one of those topics that as maybe, you know, as a sweeping generalization, the older you get, the less you just want to be bothered by learning new things. That's where she is currently with that. And if I call her out on pronouns, she'll fix it. But it's it's really not important to her. And it's been like seven years. I'm really calling her out. But also she's had seven years to figure it out. So, <laughs> whoops. Uh, I, I, as an older person, uh, I get nervous when I'm interacting uh, with someone who identifies as they them mm-hmm. because I'm afraid of messing up and hurting their feelings. I totally get that. I, to be fair, just to like relieve some like stress for you, I get nervous when I'm meeting someone who goes, really? by they, yeah, and I use they them and I still get nervous that I'm going to mess it up. You just never know. And like, it's uh, one of those things where I never want to mess up. And I like to think because I'm of the queer community, if I were to mess up, maybe I get like a lighter pass, but I still feel terrible about it. And there are times that I mess up. I messed up last week with someone who uses they, them pronouns. And I just, I very quickly corrected it, but I still felt like shit for the rest of the day. But I think intention is all that matters. If if I met someone who was just trying really, really hard, even if they messed up, I wouldn't care because I know they're trying. But so I think... I think that's how a lot of people feel. I don't think anyone expects anyone to be an expert immediately. But there are some people who just obviously don't try. And those are the people that it's offensive. If someone misgendered me, which happens all the time. I mean, 
there is something I think in like hearing of there's something in the voice to me at least if I hear a more masculine voice or a more feminine voice I immediately like want to gender somebody by that which is terrible but I'm still trying to break that um but you know I just met someone who uses they them and I was just hearing them behind me and I accidentally misgendered them it was I felt bad yeah but it's not a big deal as long as you're trying I had uh, somebody snap really uh, at me and I felt uh I felt bad for them mm-hmm. and I felt really ashamed and and also I guess a little I don't know if indignant is the right word but I felt like um th- that was uh, a bit of overreaction and and then I thought about it for a little while and I was like I might have been the third person 10th person right. that day right. that misgendered them and yeah. it's not about me Right. That's that's very true. There are also some people who overreact. I'm not trying to like not defend my own people, but I have met people who I've overheard them just immediately snap at somebody. And I I don't want to tell people that they need to be patient because that's that's not fair for them to have to be patient for to be seen. But at the same time, maybe I just come from like a place of like over sympathy and I shouldn't. I don't I don't totally know what the right or wrong is here. Um but I know personally, I feel like the the best success I've had is from being patient with people who I know are trying or, you know, have good intentions. And usually because I'm patient with them, they're patient with me and it just mm-hmm. ends up working out really well. The, I've I've tried to get into the habit of calling everyone they them and, to, and unless told otherwise or until told otherwise, um, because I've also been snapped at by people who I guess use they, them. And I, I had, didn't know that. I just met them on the street and I said something. And they use they, them pronouns. But how would you know in, you know, a few years ago, how would you know that if right. someone wasn't presenting incredibly ambiguous? I mean, there's people who look very masculine or very feminine and still use they, them. There's no way to tell a lot of the time. Um, and so just upon first look of somebody, I just go with they, them until I'm told actually... I'm this or that. Or I just straight up ask people now what their pronouns are. And I know a lot of people feel uncomfortable with that because they don't know if that's the right thing to do. There's no etiquette on this yet. But I would like to normalize it just as asking someone what their name is at a party. Like, oh, what's your name? What? How do you like to be referred to? And, and I feel like maybe in a few years it won't be so mm-hmm. awkward. But I'm okay with it being clunky as long as people know I'm trying yeah. to be respectful. That's why I refer to everybody as fuckface. <laughs> That's hey, it's gender so much neutral. Easier. It's yeah. so much easier. I I couldn't say you're misgendering me with that. So. Exactly. <laughs> Works out really well. Uh, is there anything that you would like to uh, share that we haven't talked about, or anything you'd like to to plug? Uh, plug. Let's see. Well, you've got, you've got a, another podcast called Ritual, which you also do with uh, we, Christine. We have a podcast, Rituals, on Spotify, and we also have uh, our normal podcast, and that's why we drink. Uh, you can find us on our social media. It's ATWWD Podcast. I am uh, the M Schultz on social media. And uh, E-M for E-M. M. The E-M S-E-H-U-L-Z. Yeah. No T, motherfuckers. No T, motherfuckers. And we have a book called A Haunted Road Atlas. It's a haunted, spooky road trip atlas. So if you're... Hugely successful book. Thank you. Uh, we So if you would like to um, go on a road trip soon, you want all the haunted true crime attractions or tours or spots to look at, 
um, we got it all in there. Such a great idea. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Kudos on all your success, and thanks for, for coming on and sharing your life with us. Thank you for letting me be uh, uh, vulnerable. I appreciate it. Sweet. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And uh, be sure to check out their podcast. Let's uh, take a quick break, see if we have any ads. This is from the Racism Survey, and this is filled out by a woman, uh, our friend Wildflower, uh, again. And uh, she is soon to be 40. Uh, she's Indian. Share any experiences you've had with racism. Uh and she writes, I went to dinner with my best friend just after the new Little Mermaid movie came out. I mentioned that I had been to see it, and she spent the whole dinner telling me how wrong it is that the character was black, how mermaids are not black, and they ruin the story, and they're just using black people to claim to be inclusive and that they should stick to the original. This was the same friend who the year before I had told I was feeling awkward dressing up as Snow White for something. Uh, because there are no Disney princesses I relate to, and she said I should do it. Do you remember how you felt when it happened? I didn't know what to say. I was just in shock. I felt unseen, and it made me think, this is the real you. Upon reflection, I wish I had said that mermaids are fictional characters, and they could be green for all we know. How do you feel about it now? I still think about it. It really affected me. I was so excited to finally see black representation out there after being told throughout childhood that I, that I couldn't be any Disney, Disney princess because of my skin color. I knew how important this would be for other kids like me, and my best friend of all people squashed that and didn't even realize as I sat across from her in shock. Any thoughts or feelings you'd like to share? I wish I could have the right words in those moments these things happen. I always reflect on it later and wish I would have reacted to it instead of saying nothing or politely smiling. People need to know what it feels like to witness microaggressions daily. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, boy, the, the, um, that feeling when you're like, why didn't I say this? Why didn't I say that? This is from the Love Survey, filled out by Jelly Bean, and uh, they write, I love how my dog runs down the stairs to greet me every time I come home and how happy he is to see me. I love how his little butt wiggles when he runs down the stairs. I love how he taps me gently with his paw a few times when he wants my attention. I love how he paws at the blanket when he wants me to lift it up so he can get under. I love how he pokes his head in the shower when I'm in there and tries to lick my feet when I get out. I love his little snores and snorts. He's a pug. I love coming home from work at the end of the day and seeing how many of my shoes my dog carried upstairs and left in my bed or his bed. Gracie does the same thing. I could put them away, um, but I realize he must like doing this while I'm gone and it gives him something to do. So every day I put all the shoes back downstairs so he can bring them up the next day. I love how he immediately lays on any item of clothing that I set down. Those are awesome. Thank you for those. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Kinda Okay. She identifies as uh, straight. She's in her 30s, says that she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. 
uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. My dad has a friend that has always creeped me out, and I always feel anxiety around him, to a point where I've lied about my plans to avoid dinners, pretended to be sick, been actually sick, and had panic attacks, avoided his neighborhood. I have known him my whole life, and while I don't have many specific visual memories about him from when I was a child, I've always wondered if something happened. He and his wife watched me overnight as a kid. They were like an aunt and creepy uncle. As an adult, I remember him always being too close of a talker, saying inappropriate things to me, trying to nonchalantly touch me close to my breasts, and always having a sensation in my gut to get the hell away from him. Well, that to me is enough. I mean, that's a violation. Talking to a child that way, you know, and whether that or not that just that memory alone is enough to put somebody behind bars to me is beside the point. It, it, to me, that's like, that to me is already enough right there. Of course your stomach's going to tighten up. Uh, she's been emotionally abused. She writes, my current partner, current partner has some mental health issues of his own, acknowledges them, but thinks he is totally fine the way he is. He truly is a great guy, helps everyone, stands up for a lot of people, mostly takes great care of me. We have a blast and a wonderful life together, but he has, and this is in caps, really big emotional responses. He gets so frustrated so quickly with anything. Uh... Could be he can't find a certain tool or the cheese is a bit moldy. He gets so mad and he has a slammer, slams cupboards, the fridge, the doors, gets so irate and frustrated and impossible to deal with. And because we live together, I bear the brunt of this. Also, when we fight, he uses nasty words and can get really passive aggressive, which drives me crazy. I've tried pointing this out to him and again, he acknowledges it and has recently started validating my feelings when I explain how his emotional outbursts affect me, but I don't know if it will ever change, and I think I will always spend a couple days here and there walking on eggshells. Is it bad that I am okay with that? I don't know if the word good or bad applies, but I think, um, I mean, it sounds fucking problematic um, for someone who wants to feel safety in a relationship. Um, and, you know, I think marriage counseling would be a great neutral space for you to, um, for someone else to bring up that he might want to consider anger management. And maybe your therapist wouldn't bring that up. Um, the tough part to get into when you're dealing with something with a partner, and, and this at least is kind of the, the guideline that I live by when in a relationship is I can stand up for my needs or my boundaries and say, you know, it's not okay when this happens. But what I don't do is try to tell them how to change because that is, to me, codependent. And that is its own sickness. And so whether or not that person, all we can do is express that we're feeling disappointed or unsafe or whatever. And then that puts the ball 
in their court and gives them an opportunity to show whether or not they want to put the effort into changing. And then you can make the decision of whether or not that's a partner that you want to stick with. And it might be and it might not, but I hope that helps. Any positive experiences with abusers? I have many positive experiences with my partner, more than 90%. For the other guy, nope. I hope to never see him again. Darkest thoughts. I always fantasize about traumatic events like my parents dying in a car accident or me waking up from a coma or my boyfriend dying at work. And all of these always end up in me having a lot of attention from people wanting to be there for me uh, through this made up hard time. People feeling sympathetic, empathetic, bad for me, whatever it is, and me having an excuse to not have to do real life for a while. And this to me is such a common thing when we don't stand up for ourselves is then we think of some imaginary way that we can be seen and felt and supported. When in reality, the tool to use is to set boundaries and enforce them. When I was working as a critical care nurse during the pandemic, I used to think about how awesome it would be to get sideswiped by a truck and have to spend three to six months in hospital. I also used to fantasize about how I could go about killing an ex-boyfriend because he snored so loud and I never got a good sleep. He was a heavier guy and really out of shape, and I thought I could push him down the stairs, and maybe he would get stuck and suffocate. I would think about all the people who would be there to support me at his funeral and how I would feel so clever and smart that no one suspected me. I also always imagine fucking his best friend at the funeral, too. That sounds like a lot of multitasking, and I say good on you. You're a go-getter. Darkest Secrets. I used to sleep with a lot of guys in my 20s. I have HPV warts and herpes. My current partner knows, but no one else other than my doctor does. I feel so much shame about that and don't know if I will ever tell anyone other than my current partner. Sometimes I worry that if my partner and I don't make it, I will have to tell someone else, and it makes me nauseous just thinking about having to say it out loud. Um, You should Google what percentage of people um, have those, because I think you would be shocked at how common it is. And I have many friends uh, who have genital herpes and have partners, and their partners know. Sometimes their partners also Um, when they entered into the relationship, their partners also had them. Uh, and sometimes if their partner doesn't, um, they take precautions when, when they have a breakout, but it it is not a a relationship killer across the board. Yeah, sure. For some people it would be a deal breaker, but I know that there are a lot of people out there who, um, it's, it's not an issue. Uh, Sexual fantasies, most powerful to you. I often fantasize about being taken by multiple men at one time in a gangbang slash orgy type experience. There is sometimes consent and sometimes not. The thought of multiple men in me at one time is a huge turn on. I also find myself often watching cartoon porn that involves monsters, aliens, and creatures of some sort. And fantasizing about that always helps me orgasm quickly. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I dated a guy when I went to Australia, and he ended up dying about a year after I had to come home. We had a really messy breakup after I left, and we were just starting to get back on talking terms when he passed away. 
I would like to tell him that I am sorry and I love him and I wish I never left Australia. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for a simple, peaceful life in the country with chickens and goats, a huge garden, my boyfriend and a couple of friends nearby where no one else bugs me and I can walk around my property naked any time of the day, and I wish for happiness. Those sound awesome. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared my STIs with my partner. It went fine. He actually didn't really care at all, which was really surprising. My partner knows that I fantasize about double penetration, but not the full extent of my fantasy. He thought it was cool, but was clear he would never be down for it. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? I'm actually smiling right now. It feels good. I don't know if it will change anything, but I love writing. And I often write things down and then burn the paper. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Take it one day at a time. Be present in the moment. Be mindful of how you're feeling. Give yourself permission to feel that way and be kind to yourself. Love it. Thank you so much for filling that out. Any comments to make the podcast better? More swearing. Well, I don't know what you what what I could add. Maybe you want to. Uh... <laughs> I can't even say it. I was gonna. I was gonna call my butthole my ass pussy. But I didn't, I didn't know how to put that into a sentence. And I thought about calling it my ass cunt. And then I was like, no, that's a little too harsh. But there, I said it. Uh, this is from the Psych Ward Experiences uh, survey. And this is filled out by a woman her, who calls herself Got to Go 99. Uh, she's in her 30s. And uh, she writes in September 2020, I tried to commit suicide after my mom had passed away. Um, oh, after uh, a, exactly a year uh, after my mom had passed away. And I was sad. I was there from September 14th till November 28th. It was during COVID, so we had to wear masks while in there. When you first walked in there, they had a padded room, which I did not even know they used anymore but I guess they do for the more serious things. I did see them tie someone down to the bed two times because they were acting out. I met this one guy. He had depression really bad and was drinking a lot. It got so bad that he drove, got into a car accident and crashed his dad's truck into a ditch. Another guy kept asking when he was going to get out, even though he'd only been in for four days. There was a girl who kept saying that she was in the FBI and she wasn't. And she also kept talking in different voices every time she talked to the group. I'm not going to go into detail about what these people had, but it was definitely an experience. There were only five girls and 10 guys. I felt safe in a way while I was there because you're totally, literally locked in. And you don't have to talk to anyone if you don't want to. Thank you for sharing that. This is from the Love Survey. And this is filled out by Sally. And she writes, I I love watching my little cat come plowing into my much larger cat and practically knocking him over when it's time for a treat. I love when my 15-year-old daughter shamelessly burps or farts in front of her boyfriend. I love that my nine-year-old daughter's favorite memory uh, is 
favorite memory within her Why I Love My Mom School project is when I married her stepdad. I love when my husband surprises me with something simple like the Chicago mix, uh, which is caramel and cheese popcorn and amazing. Uh, I love making friends on vacation. I love that one. I do too. And of course, I never talk to them again. But when we're hanging out (laughs) during that vacation, it feels like, oh, we're going to be friends for the rest of our lives. Uh, I love my cat's reaction to rolling around on the warm concrete. And I love hearing Gracie in the background when I'm listening to the mental illness happy hour. Do you hear that? She is zonked out right behind me. This is a pretty graphic and intense shame and secrets survey. And this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Danny. Uh, she's 56 years old. Um, she identifies as straight. Uh, she says that she was raised in a totally chaotic, violent, and emotionally abusive household. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I never reported it. Uh, when I was a child, my mom and stepdad drank at the local bar almost every night. We were always babysat by a demented, pervert neighbor. He would force us to bring friends over and make us all strip down naked to touch and hump each other. We had no idea what to do or how to get help. Uh, uh, There was always six to ten of us. The neighbor would sit naked in a chair and jack off while watching us all fondle and hump each other. Plus, he would touch us as well. I remember he smelled really bad and always had terrible breath. He said he was the king and we had to do what he said. If we told anyone, he would make us pay. Don't know what that meant, so we didn't say anything for a long time. I would get bladder infections from the events. I went to the doctor a lot for my bladder infections. I had OCD and panic attacks as a child. My mom asked what's going on with my bladder infections. I told her we were being molested from the neighbor. When I told my mom, she told the neighbor guy to get help or get out of town. He soon joined the army for just a short time. I always wondered why my mom and stepdad didn't call the police and have this man arrested. I thought maybe they didn't want that info in the local paper that they went to the bar, uh, that they went to the bar and left us with a babysitter that molested us all. Yeah, I would imagine uh, that probably factored. But who knows? You know, I'm I'm always curious to know what goes through the mind of the parent that either doesn't protect the kid or kind of half-asses it. Uh, She's been physically and emotionally abused. As a child, we had a very violent household. Every night, it seemed like there were fights and screaming. It was hard to feel comfortable at home. We were always yelled at to shut our door and stay out of it. We would hear glass breaking, crying, and screaming. Usually, uh... Usually my was beating up my stepdad. I think there's a word or two missing there. My mom didn't have much patience with us and would call us names and tell us to stay in our rooms most of the times. She was extremely hard on me. She always said uh, to stop crying. I had horrible nightmares and just wanted a place to go where there was no screaming. My brother would hit me and leave bruises all over me and break my dolls and break anything I liked. 
When I would tell my mom that my brother hit me, she would respond with, stop tattletaling on your brother, or what do you want me to do about it? It was very hard to look back and remember any good times, if there were any at all. Thanks for listening. This helps release some of my anxiety. Keep up the good podcast. I look forward to listening to every single one of your shows. Uh, any thank you. Uh, any positive positive and and I am so sorry that you went through this horror show of a of a childhood. Any positive experiences with abusers? No positive anything with my childhood abuser. Darkest thoughts. I never wanted children because I was too afraid that I might molest my own kids due to how much sexual abuse I went through as a child. Darkest secrets. My cousins would come over and molest me all the time. I never knew why they chose me. As a child, I always wondered why I was chosen to be molested. Maybe I deserved it. I would think to myself, this is happening to me because I wasn't being a good enough child. Oh my God, does it get any more fucking heartbreaking than that? Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. I could never orgasm as an adult. After 30, I maybe have had a few orgasms. I feel it was because I was molested as a child. I feel sad that I can't have pleasure during sex. Maybe I deserve not to be pleasured. That's such a mean thing to say to yourself. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my mom, who passed away years ago, Dear Mom, why the fuck didn't you put that gross molester behind bars? My mom only knew all the crazy shit he made us do and what he did to us. Hopefully she is reading this from above and feeling some guilt from it. Question mark. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for a peaceful, loving, and happy life. It's been a hard struggle for me to find happiness and joy in my life. I'm 56 and still looking for peace. Have you shared these things with others? No, I've never said any of the above to anyone. It would feel dirty and gross, so I keep it down deep. Thank you for listening, Paul. You truly are a wonderful person. That means a lot to me. Thank you. And you sound like a really sweet soul, too, who who has a lot of really, really deep wounds, understandably. And I really hope that, um, well, let me read this first. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel somewhat relieved and sad and lonely as well. You know, I think part of, I think the only way forward, if, if we want to begin to feel peace, is to open up about those things. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying. No matter what our thing is, but, you know, the fact that you feel somewhat relieved from writing this down, that kind of says to me that that might be something to explore more in the future, whether it's with a therapist or journaling. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? All my family have passed. If my brothers were alive, I would ask them if they remember uh, what took place and if they want to go to counseling with me. Thank you so much for filling that out. Sending you sending you some love. And speaking of loves, uh, this is our last survey. And uh, this is filled out by another cat lady. And 
They write, I love the feeling of community I find at my church. I love the satisfaction I feel from getting my ADHD ass to stick to a semblance of a routine for any length of time. I love this one. I love a clean apartment that has been a depression den for the past six months. I love watching a new leaf slowly unfurl over days on my monster plants. I love finishing a knitting project that felt like it would never end. I love finding the perfect project for the perfect yarn. Oh, I feel that way about wood. I get so excited when I have a, a board and I'm like, what do I want to build with this? I love taking my stupid little walks for my stupid mental health. And I love the fact that my psychiatrist never stops encouraging me to take my stupid little walks for my stupid mental health, even though I ignored him on it for literal years. Thank you for those. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck, just uh, just remember help is out there, our tribe's out there somewhere, and as scary it is as it is to take that first step forward to say out loud, I'm struggling, or even writing it down, just getting our feelings on paper, um, get the ball rolling. There's a momentum to recovery, and there's a momentum to sickness and uh, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck you are you are not alone and thanks for listening everybody i know is bizarrely beautiful everybody i know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way